Welcome to episode number 54. Thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the tune. This is number 54. We were on a little bit of a hiatus there while we prepared for the Los Angeles area, Southern California High Times Medical Cannabis Cup. Yeah. That, yeah. That yeah. we just put off, put off, pulled off. Pulled off. We pulled it off. <laughs> In no. San Bernardino? Yes. And, yeah. and we apologize to all you Freeweed listeners for uh, a bit of a break between episodes. I, I noticed on the Twitters and the emails that that was disturbing to some right. of you. And People want to hear this show. And rightly so. And we apologize. It's just, you know, uh, we're out doing this event and it takes a lot of work beforehand and then actually doing it. But we're back now. Yeah. And we will return to our regularly scheduled programming next week. But this week we have a special treat. Absolutely. We have the live Freeweed panel that we did in Los Angeles with a, a, a large group of uh, panelists, um, a very illustrious group of uh, different breeders and growers, including Mel Frank and DJ Short. So uh, we will intro all those people in that episode, and that is the tape that we're going to be playing. Yeah, so that was a pretty cool, you know, uh, pretty cool seminar. It was mm-hmm. very full out there in San Bernardino. Uh, the event yeah. was terrific. The event was terrific. Shout out to all the free weed fans that I met. Oh, God, I got recognized. The, yeah, I was, was giving weird. away stickers. People were coming yeah. up. People were singing the song as I was walking by the tables and stuff. It was pretty intense. Yeah, and, uh, it was very intense. Yeah, we love you guys, man. You guys rock, and yep. you guys keep us uh, keep us going and doing this thing. Yeah, honestly, we probably just would wait another two weeks before putting out an episode. But I see how uh, intense uh, some people are about getting their free weed, so we are trying to deliver. I I will just say we usually recap the event in detail. We're not going to do that this time, but we encourage you to go to Mm hightimes.com, check out the winner's list there, Mm -hmm. check out the highlight videos. Killer videos of the strains, videos of the event, you know, listings of all the winners. Everything's there on our website at hightimes.com, so... Uh, you can basically relive the event if you were there or uh, get jealous about not being there if you were not. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and that's, uh, you know, all the more encouragement to come out to Denver for our Cannabis Cup there in uh, April. Also, it's going to be a monster in Denver, but mm-hmm. a huge event in San Bernardino. We thank everybody who, who participated, who mm-hmm. attended, and uh, we had a great time. I will just say one last thing before we hop into this. Uh, we, we have all of your, your letters and your grow questions, and we're going to get to all of them. Uh, we just, we're going to get to them in 55. Yes. So for 54, take it away, Dan. Yes, here we go. Without further ado, uh, we went a little long with this one, but that's just because we had so many great minds uh, on stage and and everybody was very interested in uh, continuing the conversation. So uh, it's a little longer than a usual episode, but I hope you will enjoy the uh, banter and the grow info that we have in store for you from this wonderful panel from the Los Angeles 2014 Medical Cannabis Cup. Welcome, you guys. We have a we have stacked the panel today. 
uh, with experts. So I'm going to go right into the introductions here so we can get some cultivation info going. Yesterday we did kind of the basics, and so we're going to get a little bit deeper into some of the more complex intermediate to expert sort of grow stuff. Uh, I'm going to start at the end here with uh, an, an old friend and uh, colleague from high times past who has branched out on his own and been a great friend to the magazine stints as well and won a couple of cannabis cups to boot. So Mr. Kyle Cushman, kylecushman.com. <laughs> yeah, he also will be talking a bit about uh, veganic growing, which is definitely something interesting. Uh, to his right is Scott from Rare Dankness Seeds. Also a very illustrious, <laughs> very illustrious breeder, uh, member of the Seed Bank Hall of Fame, uh, multiple top 10 strain winner, Cannabis Cup winner. Uh, there's a bunch of them up here. So strongest strain on earth, the Ghost, tra ghost Train OG, OG Ghost Train Haze. Yeah. You got it. So there welcome, Scott. <laughs> to, to his right. Uh, all the way from Amsterdam. He doesn't have a booth here or any, uh, any other reason. He came here just basically for this seminar. <laughs> it is Aaron from DNA Genetics. He's the A behind DNA Genetics. Uh, so many strains. Uh, it's too many to mention, but uh, they've won tons of cannabis cups. Pretty much everyone they enter and uh, other festivals and fairs in Europe as well. So welcome, Aaron. <laughs> yep. To Aaron's right, I am honored to have Mr. Mel Frank, grow book author, extraordinaire. Many of us learned to grow from his book, uh, Marijuana Grower's Guide, uh, and longtime High Times contributor, friend, and uh, great grow author, Mr. Mel Frank. And uh, to his right, we have Kay from Tricome Technologies. He's a consultant working in the cannabis industry. If you uh, need someone to clean up your grow, <laughs> he's the guy. And uh, he knows about growing big. He knows about uh, a lot of the more industrial-sized cannabis gardens. So we're going to be talking about that and some of the problems that arise <clears throat> when you go that big. Uh, so welcome to Kay from Tricome Technologies. <clears throat> Long-time High Times contributor garden, best garden ever in high times, met multiple times, so welcome. And to his right, Brett Bogue, Apothecary Genetics. He is the winner of a cannabis cup for Kaya Kush and has multiple strains under his belt as well for Apothecary Genetics. So welcome to Mr. Brett Bogue from Apothecary, the king of Kush. <laughs> welcome. And to his right, uh, last but certainly not least, Mr. DJ Short. You heard him uh, yesterday if you were here. He is the breeder behind such strains as Blueberry, which who every, everybody knows the Blueberry, and uh, the Flow, uh, Old Time Moonshine, so many incredible strains. Um, DJ Short, also the author of Cultivating Exceptional Cannabis, an incredible book about really going the next level from decent cannabis to accept exceptional cannabis. So <laughs> welcome to DJ Short. And, and uh, uh, actually, yeah. uh, last but not least, to my right, uh, he is the host of Free Weed and the senior cultivation editor for High Times Magazine. This is Danny Danko. Thank you. 
and co-host Mike Hughes to my left. Cheers, yes. So, uh, so we're going to get right I'm, into it. I'm sure you all have a lot of questions for this panel, so hold on to them. We'll be coming out to you uh, at the end of the seminar to get your questions. But uh, right now, take it away, Dan. All right. Uh, I guess we should start with Kyle here on my right. Um, maybe you could discuss a little bit about what is, what is veganic growing? What does it mean and how is it accomplished and why should anyone even bother? Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, veganic gardening uh, just may be the next step in uh, cultivation practices. Uh, I'd like to think that like 20 years ago when you couldn't buy organic milk or bread or cheese and now it's pretty much everywhere. Um, I'm hoping that maybe in the future we're not so reliant on using animal products, uh, byproducts from slaughterhouses and such, and farms that are just getting dirtier and dirtier as the earth gets dirtier and dirtier, you know, poo gets dirtier. So I like to say, take the poo out your pot. So veganics is veganic, vegan organics. So basically everything you use is organic, but um, you remove all the animal products. So we're using uh, fermented and digested soy soy meals and rock phosphates and a lot of um, uh, kelp and then you round that out with all the proper vitamins and um, just a little touch of uh, mined minerals and you're all good to go and then you uh, include the uh, a living root soil food web which is um, really what makes veganics work because it's a very low NPK value uh, some of the numbers don't really get much over five. So um, it, it's really the ratio of NPK is really important, um, more, more so than the actual percentage. And so when you have a living root soil food web that's teeming with, with all your beneficial microbes and fungi, it makes everything uh, nearly 100% bioavailable. So you use less nutrients to do the same job. You end up with a soil that is... Um, nearly residue-free because all of the veganic nutrients break down into complex carbohydrates. Um, and so basically it's the cleanest, safest medicine, in my estimation, that you can grow. Cool. And uh, when you're talking about uh, um, those products uh, that are byproducts of those, those industries, you're talking about bone meal, blood meal, things like that, right? Yeah, you know, everything that um, it, lately in our society, we end up uh, hearing about, you know, spinach being contaminated with salmonella. How the hell does spinach get salmonella, you know? Um, or, you know, uh, E. coli in the beef and such and things like that. So, you know, or, organics is, is, is a truly wonderful way to grow. I've grown organically for 20-something years. And it, it, it makes sense and it works really, really good outside. But thinking forward to the future, um, I think that um, making it 100% safe and non-toxic to all living things is really important for people and the planet. And that's where I'm trying to head everybody. Cool. Um, Scott. You've been growing pretty big over in Colorado these days. Some of the biggest uh, grows I've ever seen. Definitely the biggest I've seen, to be honest. Uh, some of these massive warehouse grows, and, and you're with the River Rock doing that as well. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the challenges and ways to overcome those challenges when you go into a big space like that. Um, you know, most people, uh, as far as growers, they still have the basement mentality um, that... You know, you can kind of be a little dirty uh, or <clears throat> you don't necessarily have to be on a schedule and all that stuff changes. You know, when you move into a warehouse or you move into a greenhouse, uh, it becomes a, a, an everyday methodical planned out regimen that everybody has to follow. You know, one, one bad cog in the wheel screws it all up. 
and uh, you know it's 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 a job. I mean, if one one little bug gets out, one little you know mold spore gets out, I mean you're wrecking half a million dollars, you know, in herb in one shot or or more. Um, you know, we're really, really fortunate uh, with Colorado. Uh, you know, we've slowly started to adopt the greenhouse policy, getting away from the huge carbon footprint that, you know, using, you know, tons of uh, electricity for an indoor grow is, uh, is costing. Um, you know, we've seen certain, certain uh, municipalities actually enact uh, taxes uh, to offset the carbon footprint for the amount of electricity that you're using. Um, so now with the greenhouses uh, that are just popping up everywhere, um, it becomes a real you know, task of keeping powdery mildew at bay, keeping insects at bay. Uh, it requires uh, cleaning procedures of all your employees when they're, uh, you know, entering or exiting the building. Uh, materials you're bringing in, especially if they're coming in from a grow shop. Um, you know, we hear all the time, uh, you know, oh, so-and-so f- soil gave me fungus gnats or root aphids. And it's like, probably not. That soil probably came from the factory, totally sterilized in that bag. But when it was sitting in the pallet or in the warehouse for months and months and months or in the green- greenhouse or grow shop for months and months and months, you know, it's a, it's a perfect spot for a bug to move in and, you know, have lots and lots of babies. <laughs> cool. Uh, Aaron, um, <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the process of uh, breeding your own strain, uh, how that's accomplished basically by guys like you. Um, well, I guess it's, it's starting off with stable genetics in the beginning to end with stable genetics for the end user. Um, I'll use LA, Conf- LA Confidential as a prime example. Um, it's a, a variety that the AFI cutting that we got acquired here in California by a group of uh, family friends of ours and we wanted to make seeds of this but there was no mail Um, we knew it was an Afghani strain and very pure to our knowledge of being an indica and we then took uh, another true Afghani genetics from a reliable source uh, from Sensi Seed Bank uh, who are also friends of ours and used their Afghani to breed into our thing, into AFI. And then we then looked for the most AFI-like male uh, and then bred that back into the original clone that we brought over. And then after growing out those, grow out those seeds again and look for the most AFI-like male. And then I believe we did it five times, but we were most satisfied with our third generation male and that's the one that we keep around to the day and breed with. When you buy LA Confidential Regular Seeds, uh, you will find three phenotypes in there. And the one that we say is the best is the one that you guys usually kill. Is the slowest, the smallest, and the shortest one. And it takes forever to veg. But it is by far the best quality and most medicinal of all three phenotypes. And... Uh, it's the only cannabis indica to be genome sequenced in the world. Uh, we've worked with scientists uh, who DNA, who mapped the human genome. These same group of scientists used their computers and their DNA. I'm not a scientist, so I can't tell you exactly what they did. But they extracted the DNA and they've done genome sequencing on the LA Confidential. And they have more knowledge on this variety with DNA in the world right now. And it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. 
Cool. <laughs> um, Mel, uh, why don't you tell us about some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen growers make and how they can mitigate those problems that they, they do? Actually, I'd like to address this okay. carbon footprint thing. Uh, Everybody can obviously see when you look at a grow, I mean, there's a huge amount of electricity being used, not only by the lights, but by cooling, the fans, everything else. Uh, the carbon footprint in California, there's been a couple of studies on this, and one is, is that between 3 and 8% of all the electricity in California has gone to indoor grows. Another one said 2%. Even if it's 1%, this is enormous. But there are also other environmental problems involved with that because you have the PCBs and the heavy metals that are in the lights and in the, in the transformers. Uh, so, so this carbon footprint thing is going to become really important. Uh, right now, there's kind of a gold mine rush to these huge indoor grows, and that's going to play its, its way out. Now, it was mentioned that uh, uh, in Colorado, they're, they're talking about taxing your carbon footprint, which is, is something that I've thought about and suggested in, in, in one paper, uh, that uh, you could start to slowly institute a carbon tax on the indoor grows to, to uh, encourage the growers to constantly try to improve and lessen their carbon footprint so that eventually you have people growing much more by sunlight and much more in a sensible way, recycling their water, that sort of thing. So this, like I said, there's a, there's a gold rush on now to get in, I mean, because the general population and investors with a lot of money, they just hear these figures thrown around of, about how many billions of dollars uh, the marijuana legal market will generate. So they're rushing in, they want these big grows, and these grows are going to happen. They're going to happen here in the next few years, but really for the future and for the planet, this has got to change. It really does have to change. Yeah. It's a very interesting point that you'll hear from people as we enter into this new era, which is quite obviously happening now uh, in Colorado, in Washington, and Oregon, and California. Uh, you know, the, the walls are coming down, and the, the, the thing is going to be all about being able to produce uh, for pennies. And the only true way to do that is to take advantage of the sunshine that you can get and grow either in a greenhouse uh, where you have supplemental lighting in case, you know, you need to supplement or outdoors completely. And just, you know, that's a negative carbon footprint when you do that because cannabis actually pulls carbon from the air and releases oxygen. So um, I think, Kay, you could probably elaborate on that as well. What do you see in the future? Because you're seeing the cutting edge of how people are, are are pulling off these bigger grows. Well, I see the industry as kind of a fascinating thing. Right now we're, you know, uh, struggling to do the indoor thing. But as the, 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 the highest quality product for the lowest cost of production comes to mind in any other market, we're going to go to greenhouse situations. <clears throat> but the greenhouses still take money to heat, money to cool. You're using air, uh, lighting as supplemental. But I see in the new emerging market, you're going to end up Westinghouse, Sylvania, Philips. These, these real-world companies are going to start accommodating our uh, industry because we are the, number, uh, the world's number one agricultural crop. So once it's legal and they're able to start accommodating, we're not 
the tail, tail isn't wagging the dog anymore. These companies are actually making lighting and equipment and competing against each other for our, our dollar. And they're really, really focused on making the best equipment for us. And as the scalability goes up, it's about efficiency. The more efficiency, the more efficient you can make one of these things. I mean, if it takes your staff six hours to water and you can do it in two and get them proactive doing other things, as Scott said, cleanliness is paramount. You know, uh, ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure has never been more, more, more salient right here. You know, but it's all about efficiency and cost of production. I mean, you know, and, you know, tracking your, your, your product. I see, you know, places with 100 varieties in there, but they don't know if one costs $9 to produce per gram and one costs 6 So how do you sell this price point? You know, how do you make the price point? If you're selling pot for $6 a gram that costs $9 a gram, you're, you're, you're a, a losing opportunity. And, you know, that's, that's the new thing is, is in the new emerging market, like I said, who's going to win this game is who's got the best quality product for the lowest cost of production. And as these guys said, very efficiently, very cleanly, and that's where this industry is going to go. So, uh, uh, kind of on that point, uh, LEDs are kind of the new hot thing. A lot of companies are coming out with fairly efficient LEDs. Um, there's a fairly large company and uh, a medical marijuana company in Colorado right now. Uh, basically, when you're paying your electricity bill, there's like a certain amount of percentage in Colorado, at least, that's supposed to go into a fund that promotes new technologies that are more efficiently and all that. Uh, this medical marijuana company got. million to just hang LEDs in one of their grows for free because they capitalized on a a legal law that's out there for new technology and you know it's it's pretty smart man people are capitalizing on this stuff every single day Um, Brett uh, as far as outdoor I mean what do you see uh, as basically the best ways to accomplish the biggest plants outdoors well, for us, we start uh, pretty early. We generally start outdoors around January prepping uh, for the outdoors. We prep uh, indoors under generally 1,000 watts. Uh, we'll probably we'll end up starting them in either one gallons um, or maybe three gallons. From that, we'll move them into probably maybe upwards of 50 gallons before I put them outside. When I put them outside in our farm, our farm's... Uh, the holes that we have, we, we grow outside, we don't grow in containers. I think a lot of people have been growing in the smart pots, which are a very good product, by the way, but I like to grow in the dirt. Um, but my holes are about 350, 400 uh, uh, cubic yards of uh, uh, dirt. Um, uh, so, yeah, they're... Yeah, you're not. You're not gonna. What do you, take are you use out. a backhoe to dig those out? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, we use a backhoe, of course, to do that. Uh, generally speaking, uh, we, we our plants can range anywhere from let's say four upwards, depending on the varieties, anywhere from uh, four pounds upwards of ten pounds. Um, but again, it just depends on how much prep, how much uh, work you do. I think these guys. Uh, talked a lot about the work and the and the actual effort that it takes. I think a lot of people think, oh, we just put a plant in the ground, then oh boy, it, there it goes. If that's how easy it was, everyone would grow, right, guys? So uh, uh, it's not quite that easy. Uh, well, there's a lot of work. Is growing right now, Brad. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, to answer the question though, is uh, we grow very large holes, and then we have to support them with trellis systems and, of course, a huge watering system as such. All right. I'd like to uh, ask DJ Short. We spoke about this a little bit yesterday, but maybe you could elaborate a bit more uh, about this interesting flowering time 
uh, differential. It goes along with what we've been talking about, about efficiency, but also maybe a little bit about the sativas and why. That's sure, sure. And also in, in improving the quality of the cannabis as well. Um, if, you, if you haven't heard, I know most of you are familiar with the 12-12 uh, flower cycle. My recommendation to you is, is 11 hours on or daylight, 13 hours off or nighttime. Giving them a little longer uh, night cycle changes things. It will cause phenotypic expressions that you will not see under the 12-12. It's the same um, flower time for the tropics. Now, mind you, the veg time in the tropics is the opposite of that, 13 light, 11 dark. And it takes three to six months to switch that couple of hours, which is why sativa take forever to finish. So basically, uh, what this is, is genotype and phenotype um, and utilizing uh, environmental triggers that we can manipulate to try and improve the quality of that cannabis. Now, uh, a part of this regimen, um, having a longer dark period just a little bit, well, first of all, it came to me from old timers in the mid-80s. These were guys that had uh, uh, light companies, some of the first light companies. They were wrapping their own ballasts. Um, and he said, yeah, yeah, make your, make your uh, night cycle a little longer, a little longer. You'll, you'll like what you see. And it was true. And I've been doing it ever since back then it was 11 and a half and 13 and a half. And I've just gravitated toward the 13, 11. Now, an example again of, uh, manipulate or an environmental trigger causing a phenotypic expression is uh, cold weather purpling. All right. Now, it has to be in the genotype for it to be seen, but you also have to meet that environmental trigger. And we are learning that it's not a set cold temperature. It's the differential between day and night temperature, 20, 30 degrees. So if you like purple, what you can do is towards the end, up your day temp a little bit and drop your night temp a little bit, and that'll, that'll color them up. But that's basically what that is, is based on. Also, can you also elaborate a bit about your selection process in your uh, breeding regimen? Yeah, sure. I'm, you have to realize that what I've been trying to do all along, I mean, in my book, I say satisfy my own head. I'm trying to replicate the great sativa of yore, the uh, Highland Oaxacan, the Santa Marta Gold, the Highland Thai, even, even some of the green Guerrerans. These, these were just magical herbs. I mean, and we'll never replicate that environment. All right. Um, we can't do that. Um, but we can make great hash. So th there's hope in that regard. And that's, that's one thing I'm looking to do in terms of selection uh, R&D for the future, especially in uh, Washington. I think I'm going to be working in Washington is to produce a hash plant. Uh, just to, to breed uh, plants that produce resin. Now, one of the nice things in Washington with the legalization is it's strictly canopy size. Numbers of plants don't matter anymore, and that's going to be very important to me. Um, a hash field is not going to look anything like the Christmas trees you see, <clears throat> you see in Humboldt County. Excuse me. Um, it's going to look like a field of alfalfa. It's green. You can do a search online. Just do, uh, you know, Hashfield uh, Afghanistan or Hashfield Morocco or Lebanon, and you'll see. Uh, and incidentally, these places, you know, Morocco, Lebanon, Afghanistan, especially Nepal, they've got thousands of years on us in terms of making hash. They would also mock our consumption of bud. It's definitely looked down upon and frowned. They're just like, you can make hash out of that. Why are you, you know, smoking that? So, um... 
the other side of it too, I think it's very important is healing, which one helps us heal. Uh, and that's a, that's a point of personal preference. So my uh, breeding regimen is kind of like a uh, software development, top down. I, what, do, what am I shooting for and how do I get there from here? Kind of back building almost, but that's the basic uh, premise. All right. Um, speaking of hash, I'd like to see if maybe uh, Kay could elaborate a bit about, I know this is not the dab panel, but people are very interested in this stuff. And he also sees uh, the cutting edge uh, hash making equipment. So maybe you can tell people what, what's going on right now with that, with that world. Right now, I see the world is going towards, you know, pure terpene isolation and stuff like that. There's a big phenomenon, the dab making, and I can only hypothesize that there was 100 gallons of terpenes lost last year that are cannabis-based into a vacuum pump, if you will, into the ump the oil that goes into the pump specifically because um, they're, they're, they're putting oleo resins into a vacuum oven and then they're, they're, they're trying to get all the solvent out. In the process of getting all the solvent out, they're vacuuming all the terpenes out. And you see some of these numbers at the, the cups that are eclipsing 80% and Aaron's done some very valuable research with David Watson and a few others that, you know, taking you know 100% THC and taking one terpene and putting it on there and seeing what the actual effect is and evaluating all these different things. So a lot of this stuff's already been done <clears throat> but uh, uh, with the, with the 80% THC I'd much rather have the 60% THC 10% secondary uh, cannabinoids like you know uh, THCV or, or CBD or whatever and the rest be all terpenes I really don't want an 80% uh, concentrate to do anything with you know I'd much rather leave all the terpenes in and in the process right now working with the cross international of working on a device that actually will will capture everything before it goes to the pump allows you to capture it and put it back into your concentrates or I, I suspect that 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 composition is the next step in pharmacology actually okay also no. uh, you know one thing people should realize is if you smoke hundred percent THC and there's no terpenes it's a very unsatisfying high you know, so the terpenes are very important for the entourage effect, and this is why elucidating what these terpenes do and in what combinations is a very complicated thing, but it's going to be a very important thing, not only for getting high, but for the, the medical industry. The other thing uh, DJ was mentioning about the hashish is that I also see with the production of marijuana, uh, you know, just being more and more in the price dropping, that uh, making sieved hashish will become economically feasible. And sieved hashish, of course, you just got it all right there. It's all natural. It's going to have all the terpenes, all the smells, all the flavors, and all the things that you get from that. So that's, that's something that we will see come, and I hope to see it soon. <laughs> um, I wanted, I wanted to touch really quick. Mel is also the editor of a book called Hashish by Robert Connell Clark. And he, if you don't have book. it, I beg you to buy it. He, yeah. he is the real deal. The real I'd like to touch on the, ter the terpene I'm, I'm thing. I'm so honored to be up here with every one of these gentlemen. Um, He's the principal writer, though, of the book on concentrates that we're doing. We're doing it together, but he's really the guy on the concentrate. But he's my hero. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I'd like I to... tell a bromance. Hey, guys. Sorry to interrupt the show, but I wanted to tell you about one of our sponsors. It's BC Northern Lights. They've been with us forever, and we love them. They make great grow boxes, the producer, the bloom box, the roommate. They make drying machines. They make uh, all kinds of cool stuff at bcnorthernlights.com. You can check them out. You can call them anytime, 888-236-1266. Uh, 
7 a.m. to 8 p.m., seven days a week. These guys manufacture these grow boxes. They've been building them for over 13 years. Basically, it's everything you need to get growing besides the seeds. It's got exhaust. It's got intake. It's got hydroponic systems all fully automated. The lighting, everything is all included. Um, Touchscreen technology, all kinds of cool stuff. So please check them out. Support them. If you follow them on Facebook or you check them out on Twitter, tell them Freeweed and Danny Danko sent you. And you get a special deal. I believe they're doing six months of free nutrients right now if you mention our show. So check them out, bcnorthernlights.com. We're, we're talking a lot about the future, and maybe Mel can talk a little bit about the past and what the environment was when you published your book and what that process was like back then and how much maybe things have changed, I guess, since then. <laughs> I'm I'm just interested in hearing the uh, the process and the behind it. Yeah. Well, and in what year? I interject. Before this book came out, this man wrote. Nobody even knew you were supposed to turn your lights back. There was right. no no understanding of photo period, anything else. We would not be here today if it wasn't for him, Ed Rosenthal, Robert Connell Clark, uh, you know Thomas Alexander from Sensimilia Tips, DJ. Each one of these individuals is what got us here. Fred Gardner, all Fred of Gardner, them. Fred yeah. Cervantes, Kyle Cushman, <laughs> the list goes on. But uh, yeah, can you maybe just elucidate well, us about that era? I'll just say how I got into it. I, I came out of the service. I grew up in Boston. I came out of the Navy after four years, and I moved to New York City. And I started growing in 1968. Uh, and the only reason I started growing is is I actually started smoking over the Christmas, New Year's period between 67 and 68. Somebody brought me five joints. I sat down and smoked them and really liked it. And uh, when you got a bag of, of uh, Mexican or Colombian marijuana, what most people, even at the time, didn't realize was at 50 to like 75% of the weight was in seeds. So I was growing a lot of house plants anyway, and I had those seeds, and I started planting them, and I planted them under fluorescence and started growing it. And you, uh, at that time, you could smoke the leaves, and the leaves were as good as like the Mexican that was around. Uh, what, what's probably been lost is that the potency of the leaves on a plant increases from the bottom to the top and from the large size to the small size, and your shoots are actually very, very potent. Uh, so, so anyway, I, I ended up writing an article for, for uh, Rolling Stone, the New York section of Rolling Stone, a two-part series on growing marijuana in a New York City apartment under fluorescent lights. And Ed Rosenthal contacted me. At that time, he was selling little kits of fluorescent uh, lights over four-inch pots. And, you know, he'd come to your home and install it, and you could grow marijuana. So he came to me, and he said, hey, we have to write a book. And I said, I don't think so, Ed. But, but anyway, Ed, Ed really bugged me for a couple of years. And uh, finally, almost to get rid of him, he was so persistent, I said, okay. So we took the articles and we flushed them out a bit, and off he went. And I was rid of Ed Rosenthal for a while there. But uh, what he did, and uh, I'm forever thankful, is he came out to California and he found a company in uh, Level Press in San Francisco that published the book. The book was then, the rights of the book were bought by Andrew Press in Berkeley. Well, I was then in college, and I was studying uh, biology, <clears throat> excuse me, and I concentrated on botany and microbiology, and uh, got serious about writing a book. I realized there was very little out there. I saw, I think it was Bill Drake's book, about 1970, 72, and got serious, and I really wanted to write a book about 
the botany and the chemistry and the history and how you could grow anywhere, indoors or outdoors. And I came out to California in 75 and I heard about Cincinnati for the first time. I went back, I got my degree, came out in 76 and Ed and I <laughs> would go around to, to uh, <laughs> medical and, and horticultural libraries and with nickels in our pocket and everything that said hemp or marijuana or anything THC, we'd be there photographing, I mean, photocopying the, uh, the, the studies. So we ended up with well over 300 studies. Most of them were pretty worthless in terms of the book, but we read them all and uh, put out this book that was published in, I think it was 78. I also, at that time, acquired a microscope and began photographing the, uh, the resin glands and quite by accident discovered a way to do it so that everything was in color. I just used the sun as my, my light source and put it on a no, put this, the, uh, uh, like the buds on a opaque surface and uh, I got the true color of it. And through that, you could uh, see the change from clear resin through milky to... Uh, to brown, and uh, you know, as my suggestion was, is you should do it when the, most of your glands are clear or milky, and you shouldn't really have many brown glands indoors. Outdoors is a different story. Under under sunlight, you are always going to get brown resin glands on your your leaf blades. But uh, anyway, that's really what got it going. We also went to the University of Mississippi, where the where the government grows their marijuana, and talked to them. And when we first met them. Uh, I realized after about 20 minutes, we knew more about growing than they did. I mean, all they did was grow the plants vegetatively, grind it all up, and that's, I think they're still doing that. Uh, but but anyway, anyway, then from there, we, we just grew everywhere. When we were in Oakland, we grew in a, a greenhouse that was really a shack that we converted to a greenhouse. I can remember a time we had uh, seeds growing in the attic under a 1,000-watt metal halide. We had plants in pots outside. I had plants in my window. We had stuff in the greenhouse. And I had been on a jury and in Oakland on a victimless crime. It was a, a gambling thing with a bunch of old guys. And I realized from being in that jury room, I was a foreman, that very likely you can't get convicted in Oakland for a victimless crime. You know, there were like four people on the panel. They didn't care if they had videos of the whole thing. They weren't going to convict these guys. So that was, very, that was a real relief to me. It made it easier for me to grow. I wasn't worrying about going to jail. Uh, unfortunately, one last story here is I had at the time about 200 uh, land races because people were visiting us after the book and they would bring their, their stock and their seeds and I'd trade with them. And I was giving away seeds left and right then. Uh, the only problem was people would come back the next year and want more seeds and that started to piss me off. You know, I'd say, make your own seeds. Uh, but anyway, that, unfortunately, that whole, that, my whole collection was lost because there was a fire one time that came up a hill near the greenhouse, and uh, neither one of us were home at the time. And the firemen, uh, quite rightfully, they broke down the, the door to the greenhouse because they had no idea what was in there. There could have been an, an animal in there. There could have been you know, dangerous things in there. And uh, I came back as they were leaving, and the neighbors all said, boy, were you growing a lot of marijuana back there? They took bag after bag out. So I figured I was going to be busted. So I took my seed collection, gave it to a neighbor, and uh, I waited a couple of months. Well, what I didn't know was he was dealing meth, all right? So he got really paranoid one time, put it up in his attic, you know, 120 degrees in, in Oakland sun in the summer, and uh, 
there wasn't a seed that would sprout after that. So that was a shame. But that's pretty much what happened, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, you were talking about a book that really did change the world right there. I just wanted to say that um, I'm really glad that Mel did go to school and get a degree because I don't have a degree, but, you know, part of the reason that uh, the words that he just said about the trichome, uh, I have passed on to thousands and thousands of people. Um, people ask me, it's one of the most common things, when do you harvest? And, and, and those are some of the words. So I just wanted to thank you personally and, 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 and let him, you know, just, it's just the chain, of, the chain of information. It just keeps going on and on. The other thing I just really quick just wanted to say is back about, um, you know, the whole concentrate, this isn't the dad panel, um, hash thing. And I like to think of it kind of just the same way we think about food. And we're all trying to make sure that we eat whole foods, foods that aren't processed and stripped away of some of their natural components. Well, that's the way I like to think of cannabis. And um, dry sieve is the best way to make hash on earth because all you're doing is concentrating the most potent part of the cannabis plant and removing it so that you don't have to smoke and or vaporize or carry around the leaf and the stem and the, 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 other, the other matter, which is also good medicine and very, very useful. So just my own two cents about, about dry sieve hash and, uh, versus, versus concentrating or making a product that is stripped away of some of the natural components that may help your body fully utilize all the cannabinoids. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with Kyle. It's, it's about the hash, and uh, I'm fortunate enough to know uh, Robert Connell Clark very well, and, and David Watson, and these guys, these, these three people that I'm talking, and Mel Frank, these are like the forefathers of hash in my eyes. Um, when we pioneers, I mean, like these guys are the people that inspire us to create hash plants, hash strains that produce great tasting flavors and phenomenal yields of hash. Um, with dry sift, when we talk about dry sift, the dry sift return to it's about quality, not quantity. You're getting one percent of what you start with, maybe even less. When you use uh, bubble bags, pollinator bags, ice water extraction, you're going to gain a lot more percentage, but you're also going to have more contaminants also in there and, and less terpenes. Um, we, with dry sift, you get everything. It tastes better. It's, it melts. Sometimes when you produce dry sift and you're getting this 1%, less than 1% return, you might get one hit after you're done cleaning your pound of of flowers to get hash and it is the most tastiest most bubbly list bubbly list bubbly list it it's like it's like smoking it's like smoking oil it's like smoking bho it is but it's way better and you can taste you can taste better and it goes back to the terpene thing and we you guys i guess i tried answering but the stories come out of him and it's just a miracle the the terpene aspect. Um, I've been fortunate enough, like Mel said, to do some terpene research and it's really about the terpenes people. I mean, you talk about 29%, it's just awesome. And you talk about CBDs, but you don't talk about the terpenes. And what I can tell you for a fact is you can smoke 100% pure THC and not be thrilled. You can add a single terpene to that thing and then you're running around the room 
You can add another single terpene, and you can be sitting down, couch-locked. It goes down to the terpene effect, and, um, and it is going to go this, to this aspect where you're growing a plant with a single terpene that is producing one type of medicine for one specific thing. It, it first. And, and Dave did it first. And yes, and our, and our friend Dave Watson, who also uh, licensed out his, I don't know if you've ever heard of GW Pharmaceutical, but they are probably the leading cannabis medicinal pharmaceutical company in the world. And they do a product called Stevix. This is, the product is based on a skunk variety, licensed out by Dave Watson. I mean, these guys are pioneers, and I, I can't show enough respect to these guys because, like, you know, DJ Short, like, you know, I don't know. It's, you know, for, for me, it's about these guys are legends, and uh, I bow to all you all. <laughs> DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just. Cool, cool. Um, uh, in my opinion, in terms of hash and, and dry sieve, I, I, my hypothesis is, is that the glandular stalk trichome, the one encased in a membrane, was bred for hashish production outside of the tropics. Now, in the tropics, and the only exception is Nepal, but Nepal has the elevation, it's hand rubbing. And that's my preference, is the sativa hand rub. And I, in, in my observations, like back in the day when we looked with a microscope at the sativa, they didn't have nearly as many trichome. They had many, many hairs, um, systolithic hairs that secreted oils directly onto the surface of the plant. And um, so that hand rubbing coming from the tropics, I think, is something to to bear in mind too, and and that we're you know we keep looking to these glandular stalk trichome when we're developing our herb. But again, in my opinion, those were best suited for making hash dry sieve. I just wanted to say a quick, uh, Aaron. You mentioned GW Pharmaceutical. I, I did a little research uh, about the cold water uh, method and everything, and it was really interesting. In in the back of GW Pharmaceutical, and anyone here should go take a look. It's really interesting. But in the back, they there's a doctor, and he talks about how he came about finding his research. And within the research of cold water extraction. They found that, and they, GW Pharmaceutical, that this is the only way that 27, country rec 27 countries, and it's in this r report, it's in, on GW Pharmaceutical's website, that it's the only way that 27 countries recognize as a medical-grade extraction as far as cannabis. So it's really important that it really is the founding of everything we're going to move forward from here is the cold water extractions and part of it. It's there. It says it's there. And within GW and the research they've done, by the way, they're the only company that's been allowed that I know of that has upwards of 20 licenses uh, where no one else has them. Um, so again, uh, watch what it is and watch what happens. Uh, again, there's no conspiracy or anything here. I'm just saying the facts. But please go look uh, and, and just general information for people so you understand uh, what's really happening out there because uh, things are kind of, they're going to change. You know, and I, uh, there's no sense to throw too much in, but they will change, you guys. They will change. But based okay. on what Brett's saying is, uh, so I wrote the 
co-wrote with Mel Frank the very first water extraction, extraction article in the year 2000, I believe, before the bubble bags were produced, before any of those products were on the market. And I didn't even use ice. I used a titanium chiller to drop in for large scale and things like that. And the basis of that, that information came from Neville, who gave it to Rosenthal, who got it from Sadhu Sam, who was David Watson. So David Watson is the backbone of all this stuff and the and, genetics too and the genetics as well and, and and so once i figured out how to scale it up i didn't want to just do a little article i did you know taught them how to make a little bit in a, a in a one gallon jar for the the basic home person but i as the zenith of large-scale production was starting, I wanted to teach people, look, here's how we do this large-scale. So I called up Mel, and I was like, you got to come see this. And he came up, and he drove all the way to Northern California from Southern California to watch me start putting water on marijuana. And he looked at me like, you fucking lost it now, dude. <laughs> and I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, I'll show you, I'll show you. But there was a moment there where he gave me that look like, what the hell are you doing? Which ended up in, and he put it in, uh, very nicely put it in the second revised edition of Rob Clark's book, Heshi. So very, very proud. The circle keeps going, and this is where we got. Yeah. Good. Well, I got to say, I have probably five or six editions of that book, uh, many of them falling apart, dog-eared, and like covered in nutrient it, burn. It, it really comes down to resin, the, the trichome, the THC, the, the cannabis beauty ball, you know, um... It's an essential oil that's inside the no, trichome, no. And, as, as but with we any can't, other. But we can't, you know, I, I think uh, our friend Dave Watson said it best. Um, weed is the messenger and hash is the message. So you can't shoot the messenger. You always need him to bring you the flowers so you can extract the resin off those flowers. So um, another thing that we learned from good old Dave. <laughs> One more thing about Dave is that, that Dave actually brought uh, Hayes, uh, Skunk Number 1, uh, and Hindu Kush, and two from me, which was Afghani 1 and Durban Poison, and those five were the basis for all the genetics in Amsterdam for quite a while until they started bringing other things. But uh, probably about 70, 80% of all the varieties out there have some genes from those plants. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take some questions from the crowd if you guys uh, have some questions for our panel. Thanks for having the conference today. Um, there's two questions I have, and uh, anybody can answer them. Number one, how do we keep, keep Big Pharma from taking control over our freedoms? And number two, I read somewhere that you can take a female and produce a branch of male using um, silver, collodial silver. Collodial silver, silver yeah. or sodium seal theosulfite and silver nitrate. The way you keep Big Pharma from taking over this industry is to do the research yourself. Isolate the terpenes, start producing what would be called anecdotal evidence. Once you start publishing those papers and writing those papers, they become public information. Once it's public information by the terpene isolation, the terpene research, um, isolating terpenes in their purest form right now. I'm working with great, great scientists and minds trying to separate them and figure out what the exact componentry is. Um, I'm not even able to really quantify these things because I can't find a lab that actually has all the standards. Once I find the lab that has the standards, then I need to find something. If anybody out there knows, I need a cold head trapping device that attaches to a GCMS. A red one or a green one? <laughs> 
The blue one, Kyle. The blue so one. So I got, I got a little bit you, different uh, opinion so, on the so, the... so with that, I can actually quantify the substance that I have, figure out exactly what's in it, figure out how to separate it, and then what to do with it. I mean, there, there could be potential... Like open Absolutely. Share the information. Don't I mean, keep anything there, a sec. There's a simpler way to beat Big Pharma, and that's yeah. just to legalize the plant. If everybody can grow their own, everybody can grow it in their backyard. You don't have to worry about the uh, influence of you know the pharmaceuticals. I mean, they're going to be involved in it. They're going to get their little greasy hands in every aspect of it. But if the plant's legal and you can do as you want and please with it, you, they don't affect you. And I would add to that, you know, as the laws are changing, we have to demand that there's cultivation included in those so we can grow our own. The, the law in Colorado allows for anyone over 21 to grow six plants of their own. And you can grow six monster plants if you want. There's no limit to the size of them. So if you want to le keep pharmaceuticals out, then you grow your own, share it with your friends. They grow their own, they share it with you, and that's really the way. Because I'm not buying my weed from Monsanto or Marlboro or any of those places, and I don't think you guys are either. That's you it. Know. Danny just, just said it. And, 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 and that's the thing is, you know, this industry that's emerging may be the very first industry in the history of humankind that has a real culture behind it. So we're not just, it's not just a product or a medicine, it's also a culture. So I have hopes that even though big pharma and big industry, they're all going to get in, they're all going to try to do their thing. Because of who we are, we're going to gravitate towards mom and pop and the people that we've known for years and the people who've laid the foundation because we are a culture. So they're going to get in, they're going to do their thing, but hopefully maybe a couple of decades after it's all legalized and this industry is really big, they're going to walk away. Because the big people that are going to be in it are some people like you see up here that have laid the foundation and the people that, 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 that deserve it. And see, then we're going to earn our seat at the big wide table in the sky, in, in the world, the overlords. And when we have a seat at the table and these global corporations want to pull some monkey business now, we're going to get to say, nah. You're not going to do that. So we're going to grow. We're going to become those corporations. And we're going to make decisions about how the world goes. That's, that's my dream. Yeah. They, they need us and our information a lot more than we need them at this point because we've existed without them for years. And yeah, one of, the, one of the things in terms of the big pharma, uh, in the 70s, uh, people were worried that, and there were all these rumors that they were uh, trademarking the names like Alcapulco Gold and Panama Red, and pretty soon they would have the genetics and everything else. And, and it was a real concern, I mean, for us who were looking to the future. And that was one of the reasons why I gave out seeds because I figured – Giving out seeds to everybody, you get that genetics out there. And once it's out there, we all have it. And that's basically what has happened over the years, which I think is great. I mean, the genetics now, it's really phenomenal when you think of how far this plant has come in terms of producing THC and terpenes and everything else from what was around back in the 60s and 70s into what it is now. It's pretty, pretty amazing without any you know, formal help. <laughs> yeah. And Aaron, can you maybe address the colloidal silver question a little bit? Um, yes. Um the f go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you, no, you no, are. You're the, <laughs> this is the OG. I'll let him answer it because he's been around and they've been talking about this long before. And I have to be honest, the for it was handed down to me through uh, Sam the Skunk Man. So I I I have to and I know the formula is not via from him. It's from. I, here, you Listen, I've, I've really come late to, to colloidal silver. I, I do use it. I do try to feminize stuff so that I don't have to keep growing all these uh, clones. 
yeah, you can buy colloidal silver, silver you know, because it's sold for health reasons, and uh, you just go to Amazon, you'll see all, all sorts of companies. The, the problem with the colloidal silver is you really have to develop uh, a procedure, uh, and not all the plants react the same. In other words, you, you buy something that's like 240 ppm, and you have to use distilled water uh, to dilute it, otherwise it, it just won't work. Uh, and I, I think last year I found that when I diluted it 50% with, uh, 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 with water and then sprayed it every other day with just a, a moderate spraying, then I got, got some fairly good results. If you spray it at, at too high a concentration, the plant really doesn't like it and whatever uh, uh, male flower parts that form, they don't really open and they just stay tight and closed. If you put too little, then, then uh, you, uh, you just don't get any, any male flowers. But there's, there's another way to go about it, and, and DJ touched on it a bit with, when he was talking about uh, uh, the sativas and the day length and everything else. When you leave plants out long enough, past their, their, their uh, maturation point, and then you decrease the photo period even more, there's a tendency to, for them to put out what a lot of people call the bananas, which are actually anthers, part of the stamen. Those are the, what contain the pollen. And unless the plant has a predilection to put those out, in other words, it's putting them out uh, you know, while it's really maturing, which you don't want, uh, but if it was just a pure female and then you, you get these, you can save those. You can save them. You can freeze them for your next crop. And uh, one other thing about in terms of the freezing, you can freeze pollen. All right. The main thing, all you have to do is make sure it's really dry before you freeze it. And you can freeze seeds too. I've had some skunk number one that Dave Watson gave me in the 80s. Uh, when he came back to try to bring him back to Amsterdam. Uh, and I grew them, I think, in 94 or 95, and then I grew them in 2010. That was about 15 years they were frozen. Now, I don't think they can go much further than that because when they would sprout, those little embryonic leaves that come out with, that are inside there, they had de some dead tissue on them. Now, they still... Uh, you know, I still had maybe about 80-90% survival rate, but I could see that another couple of years they probably wouldn't have made it. So, for, you know, but that's a long time you can save those seeds. Yeah, the, yeah, um, the colloidal silver, uh, you guys can go pick up at Whole Foods, and the way to do it is, as you, as your lights are go, as your photo period is 12, 12, 13, 11, uh, 14, 10, however you do it, you could, you spray your plant before it goes to bed and uh, every night until your plant is almost producing pollen. Colloidal silver will not burn your plant. Um, we use a, a much stronger method of doing this and it's a much more direct approach rather than having to spray your plant every night. We use a silver nitrate bicarbonate 5 mixture. You have to have a license to get some of these chemicals. Um, and you can spray, your plant will burn, but you're not gonna spray your plant 10, 20 times to get your plant to turn, um, and you got you have touched on other things about not being able to turn certain certain varieties. Um, some strains you can turn into males, but they do not produce pollen. They are they are non-vital. Uh, the, the pods will open up. 
you'll see male flowers, but they do not produce any pollen. Um, that is, uh, of course, not something that you want to work. You, you just wasted your time, but you, within trial and error, changing your dosages, a uh, higher percentage of colloidal silver or of silver nitrate, you can change a plant. It's just a matter of time and, and willingness to, to change the plant. Um, and then to learn more about that, you would read Robert, Robert yeah. Carl Clark's book, Marijuana, marijuana botany. botany. Yeah, marijuana <laughs> botany. These guys, again, I mean, yeah. these guys have touched on all the subjects. I can't say uh, they, they have done a lot, of, a lot of science. I mean, Robert Carl Clark and Dave Watson, they're not, they are two stoner guys. I have to straight up, they are stoner guys. They are cool guys. <laughs> uh, I break bread with them. But they are smart. Now, Rob went to school for botany and stuff like that but i cannot say dave watson did and he is a, a a pioneer and what you know what knowledge lies in between that guy's ears is amazing i you know i just go suck it up every time i get a chance to sit down with them and then rob's new book ethnobotany is just absolutely fucking magnificent yeah too. yeah he did I mean, a panel for us in amsterdam all about the uh, ethnobotany of cannabis talking about how uh Different plants traveled throughout uh, the the past: the drug cannabis, the hemp cannabis, all of that. Hey guys, once again, sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to tell you about GorillaCannabisSeeds.co.uk. That's G-O-R-I-L-L-A dash cannabis dash seeds.co.uk. That's where you can find discreet packaging, worldwide delivery cheap prices and seeds from pretty much, uh, I mean, a ton of different seed banks, feminized, autoflowering, regular. Um, you can search by types, by sativa, by indica. Basically, you can find your seeds from Gorilla Seed Bank. You can order them and you can be growing within just uh, a few days of uh, a week or two. So check them out. Follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Tell them Free Weed sent you. I do believe right now they have free seeds if you mention our show. So thank them for their support of the show and thank you guys for loving free weed and for wanting free weed. And like I said, you can't have weed without seeds and Gorilla Seed Bank is a great place to source your seeds. So check them out at g-o-r-i-l-l-a-cannabis-seeds.co.uk uh, that's them, Gorilla Seed Bank. Thanks, guys. Uh, we have another question here. It's a real pleasure to be here with you gentlemen today. Uh, my question is about lighting. I've read a lot about plasma lighting recently, is, but I haven't read anything about plasma lighting and growing. Is it feasible or...? Um. Being in Amsterdam, uh, our company is fortunate enough to do some testing with uh, Govita Lighting. Um, they produce a, a plasma, a plasma light, and uh, one thing um, we've noticed with plasma lights is they produce they produce a UVC light. Now, UVC light is not the best thing to have on your skin uh, and to be subjected to, but the way they encase the light, uh, they make it safe for you to work for so long a period of time under them uh it's a it's a it's a blue light it's more like a, a high um a metal highlight but i w from what we've seen with plasma lights they are excellent lights 
they, I would use them as supplemental lighting, not just alone. Uh, they would work for a mother room fact, factor as a, as a standalone light. But as a, a small time grower who doesn't have access to uh, the grow shop right away, if the light breaks down, you're looking at a ton of money to replace the light. And you're not, you're gonna be without a light if it breaks down with, our, with us. If a light breaks down, we have another light to put right back in because we're fortunate enough to be in that position. I was, I've been pretty impressed with the uh, the Philips E Papillon uh, lighting as well. It's been in, I saw some in Denver, and it's pretty impressive. Uh, I guess that's plasma as well, right? Yeah. I don't know, but I, I really can't let all the talk about um, colloidal silver and selfing go without asking a question of, of Mel here and anybody else who also has an opinion because I just, uh, it's, it's something that I get asked a lot and that I give an opinion on and I'd like it to be qualified. So when we do this to a plant, okay, I, I totally understand the, the benefits of doing it. I don't need to discuss that. What I'm curious about is, is that plant then... Uh, genetically inferior in any way, or is that plant does that plant qualify to be a breeder after that, or should you not breed plants that have been uh, turned male? No, I think this, I don't think you change the genetics at all. You just uh, you know changing the levels of ethylene, which uh, is prompting the plant to produce uh, the flowers, uh, female flowers, and without that. It just changes it, but it doesn't change the genetics. I mean, the genetics aren't being changed at all. So, so that doesn't do anything right. to change the predilection of the, 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 the subsequent um, uh, uh, rounds of plants to be either male or female? No, I don't think so. Oh, interesting. I really I, don't. I, find I don't very think so. Interesting. You also have to realize that, uh, that marijuana, or, or I should say cannabis, is really very, very unique. Uh, to a botanist, it's the only plant in the world that has uh, these characteristics. It's herbaceous, which means it's not woody. It's uh, an annual. It only grows one season. It dies. It depends on its seeds to propagate. Uh, it's uh, erect, not a, not a vine. Uh, and it's uh, dioecious, which means that it has, uh, it has two sexes. We're dioecious. There's no other plant in the world that has all those characteristics. Well, there's a problem with that to survive if you're a plant. And that is, is if either a male or a female isn't around, and it's wind-pollinated, that's crucial, very crucial. If there isn't a male or a female around, that's the end of that generation, and that's the end of whatever population that is, okay? Now, you can imagine, uh, for a plant to be wind-pollinated, that's a pretty iffy proposition. Uh, anything goes wrong, that's the end of it. Well, marijuana has been very successful, and probably one of the reasons it's very successful is that if that didn't happen, if there was no male around or no female around, it will, females will put out males. Uh, uh, if you look at a population of them, you usually find uh, you know, a, a, a male flower here and there, and that's why Sensomeo often had, had uh, a few seeds in it. Right, right. So it says, man, and it's just like, you know, if you leave it out there long enough, I was saying it would produce those little anthers. Uh, it's doing that to survive. So at least next year, there'd be, there'd be some, some female plants there to be pollinated. So it's really a remarkable plant to a botanist. So I, uh, Kyle, like you, might have this uh, problem with feminized seeds, just, just a little. 
Um, in the last two years alone, the uh, strength of cannabis in Amsterdam alone has diminished. I, I contribute that to feminized seeds, and I'll go to another reason, and I'll say why. After doing studies of uh, what we would call regular seeds versus feminized seeds, you see a, 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 a substantial uh, in not only THC levels, but in some cases uh, CBD's levels as far as the diminishing levels of the strain themselves. So for me, uh, I would say, A, uh, uh, you know, again, and to think about this, uh, you know, what is the feminized thing? It's to go faster, to go quicker, to make faster crops, to make everything else. If anything in life, if you're forcing it, and I don't care what it is, I don't care what it is naturally, it's not natural. And I'll go one last thing, and I'll, and I'll leave it alone, okay? That there was a study done in 1850, and in fact, it was done by uh, uh, the government of India. And in there, in fact, it was done by feminizing plants. And there, the, in fact, they said it wasn't a very good thing to do. So I'll leave that alone and let the expert go from there. But at least from our research so far, by, the, by doing feminized and, and males, and I, I, anyone on here, you guys have seed companies, do it. Ch challenge for the people. If What I want you guys to know is what we're going to do, and no matter what else, and I hope everyone else will do the same thing, I want you to have the best genetics possible, no matter what. It's for you, it's for your medicine, and it's for you, the people. Bottom line. We, we'll make our money, and we'll do what we need to do, but I want to give you what you want, not what I want. It's not necessary for me. I'm a patient, first and foremost. And second of all, I own a seed company that I'd hope that can help some of you if you have illnesses. So with that, here you go. Hey, really, if I'm wrong about this, that's fine. Let's, let's find out. I'm all for it. But can you not, is there no way you can theorize a mechanism for that in all the knowledge no, you have? I, I really can't. <laughs> all right, we're going to go to another question here, guys. Um, yeah, I have a question about lighting. Let's go back to lighting for a minute. Have you guys done or heard anything about induction lighting? Um, I mean, we were talking about saving energy, which I'm huge on, by the way. And they draw, I mean, from what I understand, they draw like 1.7 amps per light, which is, you know, you can have six on a 15 amp thing. It draws very much on a 220. So my question is, is, is that a viable option? Has anybody studied it? Second of all, you didn't mention solar before. And I assume you didn't mention solar because right now with the laws, it's how you're renting. You're not buying a location. But I assume if those laws change and you can actually own your own location, that solar would be an option to offset carbon footprint. Oh, yeah. Uh, as regards to the, the induction, I think that the highest one that's on the market now in terms of wattage is 300 watts. I think, is it 400? Wow, well, I sure, sure haven't seen them. I have a 600 watt that was given to me to test against a, a 600 watt HPS, which I'm going to do. And I actually just talked to uh, Matt, an engineer who worked on that, who told me that, that it's somewhat unstable because of a red phosphor in there isn't just as stable as it should be. But the thing, the thing, if you don't know about induction lighting, it's sort of like a fat uh, uh, fluorescent bulb that's put in a, a uh, configuration that goes around like that. Uh, they're, very, they're very efficient. They're more efficient. The efficiency of lights go like this. Uh, metal halide is probably the worst of what we use, I mean, if, unless you were using like an incandescent bulb. Then it goes to uh, high-pressure sodium, 
then I think it's fluorescence like T5s, then it would be your LEDs, and then induction lamps. And the other thing about induction lamps that's great is that they maintain uh, almost like 70 or 80% of their original power up to like 100,000 hours. I mean, it's, it's really pretty phenomenal. But there is a problem, and, and they would be great for growing uh, uh, you know, vegging and clones and all that. I, I don't know how good they'd be for flowering. I think they would be good as long as you weren't trying to grow large plants because it's a linear light. So, <laughs> no, it's a white, it's a very nice spectrum. It's a nice white, very natural spectrum. But with lighting, when you have a point source that can, pe uh, the, the wattage, uh, the lumens can, can penetrate more for uh, a deeper distance and you grow. When it's linear, that the power of the lamp is spread out over, over a length so that it doesn't penetrate as much. And if you've ever grown with fluorescence, you'll see that. It only has a very short area where the light is actually penetrating versus something like a metal halide or, or a, a, a HPS, which really penetrates. So... You know, they're going to have their application. I think that all these lights, all of them have their applications. They really do. And it's a matter of, like, if you were growing in a little closet, I think an inductor lamp would be great. The other thing about them is that when you have an HPS or a metal halide, you can put a nice uh, reflector on it, you know, a wing reflector, and you can, that can be effective at, you know, a circle of five, six feet across. But with an inductor lamp and with LEDs, it's pretty much just what, what you're seeing under that, under that, under under the size of the lamp, uh, it doesn't really spread out much. So there's a problem with that. As far as the solar goes, yes, that's where it will be someday because it's crazy to spend all this money on electricity and lamps and everything else, you know. So I see the induction lights is great from keeping mothers for stage one, for stage two, but not for stage three. And, and where we are right now with the power consumption of any of the lights, I mean, it take a substantially large area to, to power one of these large-scale grows. I mean, you'd have to have a football-sized field of uh, uh, solar panels just to field, a, you know, a, a, a tenth of an acre, you know. But it can help with the it will definitely offset your carbon footprint, but certainly not going to power the facility. Question over here. Cool. Uh, hey, nice. Thanks for you guys for uh, coming out and talking with us. Uh, PGRs, how do you guys feel about them? I love them. A lot of people hate them. I feel if we're doing a flush every week uh, that it gets rid of them. So how do you guys feel about using the, uh, the, the plant growth uh, regulators? Don't like them. Don't use them on marijuana. Uh, poinsettias or something like that, great. Uh, they've been known to cause cancer also. Well, I have a little bit of new information on that. There is actually uh, a new plant growth regulator that has just been um, approved by the FDA. It's called Kinetin, and it's synthesized simply from Ascophyllum notosum. So it's organic, and um, uh, it, 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 it is a growth regulator just like any other, except it, 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 it's safe and it's clean, and um, it's just been approved by the FDA, and uh, we've included that in some of our products in the Vega Matrix that we're going to be releasing. Yes. 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 All right, guys. Question over here. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I was uh, Going back to Big Pharma, um, if you go back and you, tr you trace back 
to how big pharma has acted uh, worldwide as far as agriculture is, is concerned, it's pretty easy to see uh, why it's a problem and why we have a problem with big pharma. Um, I feel like because cannabis is such a huge revenue-producing uh, product and commodity that's just on the brink of becoming mainstream, um, to play devil's advocate to the optimism of the board up there of what's going to happen in the future, it just seems like once big pharma, well, what they've done in the past in South America and India is they've basically broken down genetic codes and taken intellectual property rights. And that's how they play their game, right? So um, now there's seed owners on the panel there, which I find really interesting because this is what they've done in the past in India. They go and they break down codes. Um, then they start charging farmers to uh, buy their seeds and they put them in debt. And that's how big pharma actually controls the market. Um, it seems like that's just down the road with what's happening here with cannabis uh, seeds, doesn't matter, especially with uh, CBDs and whatnot becoming more popularized, that it's going to become a more viable revenue stream. And all Big Pharma would have to do is break down that genetic code. I mean, I don't know if that's a little naive, but it seems like that's what they've done in the past, and it seems like this industry is just right on the brink of that happening. I'd like to know your thoughts on that. That, that is happening. Uh, yeah. It, or happened already. Um, big Pharma is already in this industry. Uh, there's no doubt. Um, them breaking down codes, I mean, they've already bought in our seeds. You know, uh, we want to stop them. We're going to stop selling seeds. I mean, it's, it's a hard one to stop, you know. And, uh, it, it, yeah, it's a hard one to stop. I mean, you're talking about Monsanto pretty much, you know. Uh, the farmer's got to grow their seeds. They've got to use their pesticides because nothing else, the herbicides. Aaron, let me jump in here. So I have, and we are publicly traded, and we do, and are getting ready to go into big pharma. Uh, we're getting ready probably to be one of the largest seed companies in the world, uh, worldwide. But we're looking at, as far as being able to offer our seeds, and being able to help people, and be able to pass out our regular seeds still to the people because Big Pharma does want to buy you out. Big Pharma does want to push you out, and they do want to take everything from you. So, again, I think if we really look at it as a group, regular seeds really help you guys because you get to keep on pushing your genetics around, and it really helps the overall people. So for us, as far as we're moving into that, and to answer your question, yes, we are moving. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I want to make money, just like everyone else in this room does. But at the same time, I have to realize that I'm a keeper right now of something pretty special. And that's all that I am, is the keeper of it. Eventually, it will go back to the people, because that's who you, you own it. We, we really don't own this, you guys. It's yours. I'm just lucky enough to be on this panel with these guys and make a really good living and take care of my family and travel the world. Uh, and, and really, we are on the cusp of something really big, and they are locking it down daily, yep. guaranteed. Yeah, just to touch on that, um, yeah, big pharma is coming in. The big major tobacco companies are coming in. And like Danny said, you, I'm sure you're not going to smoke uh, – a Marlboro cannabis cigarette, but would you smoke a cannabis cigarette from Marlboro if one of us were growing all the weed for them? You know, because that's what it's going to come down to. They're going to come seek us out as the people that are the professionals because they don't know really what they're doing with cannabis. And, and they're going to need the genetics and they're going to throw the 30, 40, 50 million dollars at you to buy your whole entire catalog. 
and then they're going to keep you on as a consultant to grow their plants. I mean, it's it's going to happen. Um, it's whether us mom and pop people are going to break down and give it all to them, you know. And uh, <laughs> so, in other words, it's about a level playing field. Do we get the level playing field? I don't care about R.J. Reynolds. They can have a thousand acres in the San Joaquin. Give me one acre. I will give you one million grams of bud a year. They cannot compete with us. We are being given an opportunity here that human beings have never had. We're being handed a fully developed industry that is completely unregulated. It's up to us to step up to that plate. Here, here. Amen, brother. You oh, said it oh, all right oh, there. One more thing, one more thing. If, if Monsanto comes after my genetics, I'm going to fight tooth and nail all the way. <laughs> all, right. all right. We have a question here. Hi there. I'm a personal grower building my own gene pool. I want to appreciate, uh, thank you guys for sharing your time. I'm wondering about S1s. I'm looking to save my flavors, so I've been working on S1s for a little while. And I'm wondering if anybody's used GA3 in order to save their flavors and their genes. Is that a, like, a, a, like a, a product you can go buy at your uh, yeah, gardening it's shop? New. It's fairly new out there. When I looked at the processes for saving my flavors through S1s, I saw the CS, and I also came across a product called, I believe it's pronounced uh, gribilic acid. It's called G3. gibberic acid. Yeah, you could acid. use gibberic acid in all different ways also. but the It's very finicky. The CS is colloidal silver. You can go to Whole Foods. You can look it up on the website. You can buy them in gallons. But there's a lack of information out there on GA3, which I actually got to produce male flowers off of a plant. And where where did you buy that product? Off of eBay, actually. Off of eBay. Yeah, they're and you mix it and you mix it with uh, it's almost um, the same process as the CS. Um, I did it 500 ppm's once a night. 12 nights before flowering. Right. And it, then I just put it into flower. But I also managed to reverse a blue ATF male into female, which also produced seeds. That's so eth- that's because of the ethylene. The ethylene. Um, yeah, you can res- reverse males. You can spray the bottom half of your male, reverse it to a, a female. To a male? And you can also come out with a higher percentage of male seeds. Okay, that's what through I'm that method. After. So nobody's actually done any work with the GA3, though. Uh, no, I've never, I've never heard of it. Um, no, but I've, I've played, I've seen many products that they make. Uh, in Spain, for instance, they make little things that you mix up with a liter of, of uh, distilled water, and then you spray it on your plant. the f- The first day you go into flower, and then you spray it again in uh, seven days later, and then usually within five weeks you see pollen. And there's and, other substances and, that turn right. uh, males female as the, well. Other substances. And basically what you're doing is inducing stress, right? I mean, that's... You're, 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 actually, you're, no, you're blocking. No? Try to create an S1 without the stress. Oh, okay. That's where I'm going. You're blocking hormones. A, thanks. All right. Uh, question here? Um, you guys were talking about dry sieve hash and how that's going to be the future and stuff. I was wondering how you guys feel about um, liquid CO2 extraction, high-pressure liquid CO2 extraction. As, 
K might be the one for that one. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, Mel and I are going to look at a CO2 supercritical extractor tomorrow. Um, from what I've seen, I, w- I was fortunate enough to be a judge in Seattle. And in Seattle, for the concentrates, uh, the dispensary entries, uh, I got 31 samples and 16 of them were CO2 samples. And every one of them was more wretched than the other. All of them were just the bottom. I mean, left with just primary terpenes, uh, uh, limonene and pinene. And, and that was a similar flavor of all of them. The, the comp- either it left in too much garbage or took out all the terpenes. I couldn't, couldn't really figure out which. But it seems like the clearer and cleaner you try to take it and get it more amber and red color, the, the less tastier it is. So. I'm not really a fan, but um, I'm, I'm on the fence. I like that it's uh, organic. I like that it's non-flammable. I like so many things about it, and I look forward to having it refined. But, you know, so some of those uh, machines are, you know, in excess of $100,000. But, you know, you're dealing with, you know, super critical temperatures, but also, you know, some serious, serious pressures. I mean, if you're not qualified to run that machinery, just, you know, don't even mess with it. There's people out there without hands from playing with that machine. All right. Well, uh, it is 420, so <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I would like, actually, since we were talking about dry sieve, maybe, Aaron, can you just sort of give a quick little primer on how people do that, or what, is that a secret process? Is it just time? Um, um, a dry sieve. I you could buy a bubble box from Bubble Man. Or your screens. You can buy a, a tumble now from Mila, the hash queen. Um, you can buy a, a, a pollinator. Yeah, it's called pollinator. You can, you can. A tumble now is from Bubble Man. Pollinators from Mila. Uh, th- yeah, you can. Yeah, you can go get your shower curtain. You can go get your shower curtain, like they did on uh, with those the Canadian. Have you ever seen that show? Trailer Park Boys. You want Trailer Park Boys and make hash. It works. I mean. But yeah, you stocking coffee filters, uh, a bubble bag. You could. It's really just about separating the gland heads. Yeah, it's really about separating the gland heads and having cured, dried plant matter to do it. That's the most important thing. Let your plant dry and let it cure. That's the best way because you want those crystals to harden up so they do fall off the trichome. Right. Also, if the colder it is the easier it is for those gland heads to separate, all right? So traditionally in places like Afghan and Nepal and stuff, they, they would store the stuff, and in the winter they would thresh it. They would thresh it over like nylon screens and things like that. But basically if you want to do it, you, you want to do it when it's cold. Uh, the other thing that people should realize is that it's just the gland heads on those, uh, those large resin glands that has, has the THC and the terpenes in it. The stocks don't. All right, so you want to, if you were really doing this high tech, high tech, and this would be what the future would be, is you would have a, you would have a, a particular variety, and you would actually measure the size of those capitate stock glands, because that's what, really what you're collecting. And then you would have a screen, preferably it would be a metal screen, uh, with holes, round holes, right, that were a little bit bigger than the size of those resin glands so that you could actually just get absolutely pure resin glands. All the screens that you're buying now, these nets and everything, they're all just uh, cross-haired square things and you get more debris in them. But that's what the future would be. All right, you guys, thank you so much. I'm going to let you guys go out there and celebrate and medicate. Just want to say thank you to my panel. I want to give some shout-outs here. KyleCushman.com Keep an eye out for Vega Matrix 
raredankness.com, River Rock in Colorado, dnagenetics.com, Aaron, the Marijuana Grower's Guide, Mel Frank, Legendary, K from Tricom Technologies, check them out on Facebook, Brett from Apothecary. Get in. And DJ Short, you guys, with the last word, DJ Short. Enjoy. All right, you guys, that's our show. What an honor it was to have that panel, uh, such luminaries on the panel. We're looking forward to uh, great grow panels in Denver as well. We'll probably be doing a live free weed show there. So check us out in April in Denver for 420 and our big cannabis cup there. Uh, geez, besides that, thanks for all the support. Check us on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, follow me on Instagram. Mike Hughes underscore is Mike's. Uh, Danny Denko is mine. No underscore necessary, but uh, I underscore that... Uh, you should do that. <laughs> so like yeah, us. There you go. That's been underscored. And uh, we should also mention that we are currently wrapping it up with Raw. Wrapping it up with Raw right now. Raw Papers. So thank them. Uh, and if you're going to wrap anything up, uh, please wrap it up with Raw. Yes. And uh, like I said earlier, we're back to our regularly scheduled programming next week. So keep your questions coming. We're going to answer a ton of them uh, next Thursday. Yeah. Also. Uh, I hope that, who was it here? Somebody wrote us, oh yes, James T tweeted, uh, I know you'll make next week's free weed an hour long to make up for this, right? Well, there you go. You got an hour and a half <laughs> there of free weed, some great grow info, and uh, yeah, please stay tuned. Next week we will have your questions answered. Yeah, and thanks to all my panelists. Thanks to everybody that came out uh, in Los Angeles. Thanks to everybody that mentioned the show and and. It really is uh, just amazing to hear from you guys. And, and, you know, we started this out kind of on a whim, and here we are 54 episodes deep. And it's really just been amazing to hear all the feedback. So keep it coming. Thanks a lot. Free weed, and we're out. Mm-hmm.